0: Chapter twenty nine of Ticonderoga by George Payne Rainsford James. This Librivox recording is in the public domain. Chapter twenty nine On that part of Lake Champlain, or Corlea, as it was called by the Indians, where, quitting the narrow basin which it occupies from its southern extremity, to some distance northward of Ticonderoga, it opens out into a broader sheet of water, and sweeps round the small peninsula of Crown Point a large canoe was seen crossing to the canada side with some sixteen or seventeen persons on board amongst whom were edith prevost and her companion woodchuck there was no attempt at concealment no creeping along under shelter of the banks but boldly and openly the indians paddled on within range of the guns of the french fort and then directly across the bows of two large flat-bottomed boats or bateaux accompanied by several light canoes each of the latter containing six or seven men which were going down the lake in the direction of ticonderoga from each of the larger boats the flag of france was conspicuously displayed but as the strange canoe above mentioned seemed bearing straight for the shore fully in possession of france its movements for a time appeared to excite no attention neither the bateaux nor the other canoes altered their course the men in the former continuing a shouted conversation in a mixed jargon, part French, part Indian, with their dusky companions in the lesser craft, who kept as nearly alongside as possible. At length, however, it would seem some suspicion was excited. Two figures, male and female, were discerned from the bateaux in the stern of the strange canoe, whose dress at once showed them to belong to none of the Indian tribes, and was also somewhat different from that of either the Canadian colonists or the native French. The two parties were now within less than a hundred yards of each other, and it seemed doubtful whether the large canoe would clear the eastern French boat without trouble. But suddenly a voice was raised loud in the foremost bateau, and a question was put in French as to whither the others were bound, and who they were. The Indians were silent, for they did not understand the words addressed to them, but woodchuck whispered eagerly answer answer if you can speak their jargon rather be in the hands of french officers than these incarnate devils edith's eyes had been cast down and so full of bitter tears that she had seen nothing since they left the western shore but now she looked up and in an instant her presence of mind returned it is true she did not speak at once for she feared her voice would not reach the boat but it was nearing the canoe fast and in a moment after the question was repeated in a more peremptory and a more distinct tone. "'Tell them we are allies of the great French chief,' said Apuqua, who seemed to comprehend in some degree the meaning of the call. "'Say we are going to join our Canadian father.' And he glared fiercely as he spoke. "'We are English,' exclaimed Edith, in French, exerting her utmost power of voice. "'We are English and Iroquois, going, I know not whither.' Instantly, at a signal from the bateaus, the light canoes dashed out with extraordinary rapidity, and before any effectual effort could be made to escape, the larger canoe was surrounded, while the yells of the Hurons announced that they recognized at length a band of ancient enemies. With a fiend-like look at Edith, Apuqua drew his tomahawk from his belt, but the brother of the snake spoke some words to him in a low tone. The weapon was replaced— the men ceased to work the paddles, and every face assumed the quiet stillness of perfect indifference. The yells and whoops of the Huron still continued, so that one danger seemed only to be escaped to encounter a still greater. Their fierce faces and dark, half-naked forms, tattooed and painted, were seen all round, and the tomahawk and the knife were brandished, as if for immediate action. But one of the large boats bore right down amongst them, and soon grappled the canoe in which Edith and her companion were. A handsomely dressed, middle-aged man stood up in the stern as it came near, and, turning to an Indian who seemed a chief, by his side, said to him in French, Keep your people quiet, great elk. A few words were then spoken, or rather shouted, by the Indian to the others in the canoes, in a language which Edith did not at all understand, and in an instant every Huron sank down in silence and the light skiffs lay quiet upon the water, or only moved slightly with the momentum they had already received from the paddles. Then, raising his hat and plume with an air of much grace, the French officer addressed Edith, saying, "'Will you have the goodness to explain to me, mademoiselle, who and what you are, and how you came to be in the position in which I find you? I am sorry to be obliged to detain a lady, but you have too many men with you to suffer your canoe to pass.' "'I am the daughter of an English gentleman,' replied Edith. "'I have been attacked and captured with the friend "'who was escorting me from my father's house "'to that of Colonel Schneider. "'My two servants were murdered. "'At least one of them, I am sure, was. "'The Indians who are with me are Iroquois, "'who are taking me forcibly across the lake toward Canada. "'And I have little doubt that I shall be put to death also "'if you do not save me from their hands.' but this is a strange story mademoiselle said the officer the iroquois and your countrymen are in alliance i cannot account for them said edith they are certainly iroquois for they speak no other language except a few words of english you must ask them what is the meaning of their conduct if you have any on board who can speak their tongue the officer turned at once to his indian companion and addressed some words to him in french But the chief shook his head, and then, drawing his eyelids together, as if to see more distinctly, gazed into the canoe, scanning the persons of the Indians closely. "'They are Iroquois,' he said at length. "'Let us scalp them.' This proposal the officer did not think fit to comply with, at least for the time, and he replied with a laugh, "'Wait a little, my friend. The great elk shall have scalping enough soon. We will take them ashore with us at all events, and perhaps may learn more.' then if they are really enemies you may exercise your skill upon them to your heart's content the lady and her english companion however i claim as my prisoners permit me mademoiselle to assist you into the boat you'll be safer here and may trust to the honour and courtesy of a french gentleman i have no fears on that score sir answered edith rising and with the aid of the officer and woodchuck "'passing into the other boat, "'which, flat-bottomed and heavily laden, "'was not much higher above the water than the canoe. "'Woodchuck followed her closely, "'but not without exciting the wrath of the Honantko. "'They had sat ever since the canoe had been grappled by the boat, "'with the most tranquil stillness. "'Not a limb, not a feature, had moved, "'and, to the eye of an observer ignorant of their habits, "'they would have seemed perfectly indifferent "'to all that was taking place.' in fact one of them appeared actually going to sleep for the sun which had now broken out after the storm shone full on his face and his eyes were closed and his head bent but the moment that woodchuck put his foot over the side of the bateau a yell of disappointed rage burst from every lip and unable to contain himself apuqua arose and poured forth a few words of huron mixed with a good deal of iroquois hold your tongues exclaimed the french officer "'waving his hand imperiously. "'Tow them along behind us, and you, great elk, "'command your people to keep close round them "'and see they do not cut the rope and slip away.' "'The orders were given, as he directed, "'and the arrangements made, but when all was completed "'and the boat was once more moving along the lake, "'the Indian by his side pulled the officer's sleeve, "'thus interrupting a speech he had just begun, "'with a gallant air to Edith, and seemed to explain something to him in a low tone. "'Well, we shall soon find out,' said the Frenchman with a gay laugh. "'If they are Iroquois, who are going to become Huons "'and take service under his Majesty, "'we will make them fight for us, where we are going. "'We shall not have too many hands to help us, Great Elk, "'and they'll make a good reinforcement to your party. "'As for the lady and her attendant, I will take care of them.' and turning to edith with a courteous smile he spread his roclois in a more convenient part of the boat and assisted her to seat herself more comfortably saying mademoiselle is a great deal too charming to travel any more with such savages but may i know the name of this gentleman can he not speak french not a word i believe replied edith that is singular exclaimed the frenchman giving expression to the general feeling of his nation who seem to believe that the French language is one of those blessings of God which is strange he should deny to any of his creatures. What is his name?' It instantly passed through the mind of Edith that if she gave her good companion the name of Captain Brooks, she would be certain to cause his detention as a prisoner of war, and she therefore simply replied, "'He is called Woodchuck.' "'Woodchuck!' exclaimed the Frenchman. "'Quel drôle de nom! Is Monsieur Woodchuck in the army?' To the question thus put, Edith could fairly answer in the negative, for Brooks, though he had seen no little fighting in his day, was merely one of those amateur soldiers, then very common in the provinces, who rarely missed an opportunity of joining some band of volunteers, in times of war, with France, or fighting upon their own hand, according to the Dutchman's expression, as one of the extensive class called stragglers. They generally bore away from the field, especially if they distinguished themselves some military title, such as captain or major, without ever having commanded half a dozen men in their lives. After having asked his questions, and settled his conduct, the French officer's next business was, of course, politeness, and he would fain have engaged his lovely companion in gay and lively conversation during the rest of their little voyage, But Edith, though her mind was greatly relieved to find herself freed from the power of the Honandko, had many a subject of melancholy contemplation to occupy her thoughts. There was the dark and dreary consideration of her brother's fate. There was the uncertainty of what might befall her father and her lover. There was the separation from all most dear to her. There was the doubt, even now, whether she might not herself be detained a prisoner amongst strangers.' for the war in america had hitherto been conducted by the french upon principles the most barbarous and most opposed to the ordinary characteristics of the nation the scene which succeeded the capture of fort william henry was a dark and damning fact never to be obliterated from the minds of men and although it has been put forth by an american author as the only stain upon the character of montcalm that author must surely have forgotten the violated capitulation of oswego the death of the gallant de la cour and the scalping and massacre of the sick in the hospital all that we can trust is that these barbarities were only permitted not encouraged but how can we account for or excuse how can we even palliate the witting and voluntary delivery of twenty of the garrison into the hands of the indians in direct violation of the articles of capitulation to be tortured to death under the very eyes of the French soldiery, as compensation for the loss of twenty of the French Indians. It is a fact which has never been denied, or it would be too horrible for belief. Edith replied briefly, therefore, to the compliments and pretty speeches of her military companion, and in the meanwhile the boat proceeded rapidly over the surface of the lake, past Crown Point, and entered the narrow portion of Lake Champlain, which stretches from that promontory to the spot where the sounding waters as the indians called the outlet of lake george flow into the greater lake near ticonderoga the french officer somewhat baffled in his attempts to make her speak tried his fortune with woodchuck but with still less success for to everything he said in french he received what can hardly be called an answer in english and generally it must be said not a very civil one for brooks was filled with all the most unreasonable prejudices of his country and never uttered the word frenchman without coupling it with the epithet rascally the voyage was brought to a close however before night fell for the boat stopped short by a mile or two of ticonderoga and considerably to the north of the spot where the ferry now exists the scene would have appeared beautiful had edith's mind been free to enjoy it for in front were seen the tops of the several bold eminences round the French fort. On the one side were those rich lands, varied at that time, which scattered masses of forest, though now more highly cultivated, known as the New Hampshire Grants, and to the westward a varied country, rising gradually to the foot of the Mohegan Mountains. The spot chosen for the landing was a secluded cove in the woods, where the shelving rocks broke through the soil and dipped gradually into the water. Boats and canoes were all speedily hauled up. The commander of the party, with delicate attention, handed Edith out, and then gave orders to his men to follow him, which was effected with rapidity and precision. The savages, under the orders of their chief, took care of the Iroquois prisoners, and apparently by no slight act of forbearance resisted the great temptation To possess themselves of their scalps when all had disembarked the canoes were drawn safely up under concealment of the bushes on either side and the voyageurs in the two larger boats pushed off and took their way up the lake again i fear mademoiselle said the captain of the french soldiers who might have amounted to sixty or seventy i must trouble you to take a somewhat fatiguing promenade of some four or five miles at least so i'm told "'but I have never been there myself, and do not know the distance.' "'Then we are not going to Fort Ticonderoga?' asked Edith. "'Not so,' replied the officer. "'We are going a little beyond, and I shall have no opportunity "'of detaching any party whom I could trust to send you into the fort to-night. "'The Indians, indeed, could be spared, at least a sufficient number to escort you, "'but I should really be apprehensive from what I know of their habits.' "'that you might not be quite so safe in their charge "'as under the protection of my musketeers "'with your devoted servant at their head. "'We will endeavour to make you as comfortable as we can for the night, "'and I doubt not that early to-morrow "'I shall be visited by some superior officer "'who will have the honour of conveying you to the fort.' "'Then am I to consider myself as a prisoner?' "'asked Edith, in a cold tone. "'I did not know that it was the habit of French officers "'to make women captives.' no replied the frenchman with a graceful bow we ourselves are much more frequently their captives but my dear lady within the limits of this garrison i myself have no command am merely acting under orders and feel myself imperatively bound to send you and your companion monsieur woodchuck to the commandant of the fortress who will act i am sure as he finds befitting i only regret that i cannot do so at once but my orders are strict my route marked out, and I am told to hasten across this small peninsula as fast as possible without approaching the fortress. It is certainly a rather long walk, but if you feel fatigued I can easily make my men construct a little litter and carry you. We shall find some preparation made for us where we are going, though. I am afraid not very suitable for your use. Edith evidently saw that remonstrance was in vain— and saying that she should prefer to walk, she took the arm of Woodchuck and explained to him as they went all that had passed between her and the Frenchman. "'I guess he is going to form an ambuscade,' said Woodchuck. "'If so, Miss Prévost, our army must be near, and we shall be long in their hands. "'I wish to heaven I could get away from them, and had but a horse to carry me,' he added thoughtfully and with a sigh. "'But it's no use wishing.' god knows his own ways best them hurons look very much as if they would eat the Oneidas before they've done pray god they mayn't take such a fancy to us too thus saying he took the place which was assigned to him and edith in the march a number of indians proceeded several little parties moved upon the flanks the small body of french infantry moved on two abreast for the trail was barely wide enough for that number woodchuck and edith followed them and the french officer with the indian whom he called great elk walked next succeeded by the iroquois prisoners a large quantity of baggage borne on men's shoulders and the remainder of the huron auxiliaries it was now twilight in the forest and for more than an hour after darkness had fallen upon the earth the weary and somewhat perilous march was continued once a small stream was crossed woodchuck taking up his fair companion in his sturdy arms and bearing her over like an infant. Nothing of any note occurred except a slow and low-toned conversation in the rear, which led Edith to believe that the Iroquois, her late captors, had found some of the other band of natives with whom they could converse, but she could not distinguish anything that was said weary and exhausted the sight of a fire at length glimmering through the trees was an exceedingly pleasant sight to her eyes and a minute or two after a scene presented itself which might have seemed dreary and comfortless enough under other circumstances but which looked cheerful and comfortable after that long and miserable march the trail which they had followed terminated in a small open space flanked on three sides by low earthworks of no very regular construction but evidently designed by an experienced military hand. The outer surface of these works was partially concealed by a thicket, and great care had been taken not only to preserve the brambles and the large-leaved raspberry, but to fill every gap in this shrubbery with branches of pine and hemlock and maple. With these embankments the ground had, to a certain extent, been cleared, though two or three of the larger trees had been left standing, to prevent a vacancy being apparent from without about the middle of the open space a number of rude huts had been erected of small felled trees and branches and before one somewhat larger than the rest a sentinel was seen planted who at the moment edith came in sight stood motionless presenting arms as his comrades filed into the little quadrangle behind the soldier and between him and the huts was a large, blazing fire, which threw out his dark figure, sharply outlined upon the flame. "'Ah, this will do,' said the French commander, in a tone of relief. "'The commandant has been careful of us. Mademoiselle, I welcome you to my redoubt, and will do my best to make the evening pass pleasantly for you. Now bring in the luggage, tell the cook to get supper ready, and you, Piero, see that hut properly arranged for this young lady's accommodation.' i calculated on sleeping upon a very comfortable bearskin to-night but i will most willingly resign it to you mademoiselle in the hope of your passing a good night's rest edith would fain have declined accepting a sacrifice so enhanced but the captain insisted and his servant whom he called Piero, at once set about the preparations for her comfort with a degree of skill and dexterity truly french in the meantime while edith sitting on the trunk of a fallen tree waited till all was ready, and while a group of stragglers unpacked the baggage which had just been deposited from the sturdy shoulders of the bearers, the French officer called his friend, the Huron chief, to counsel. And Apuqua and the other Oneidas were brought before him, accompanied by two young Hurons, who undertook to act as interpreters. Many were the questions asked, and what between the captain's ignorance of Indian manners and the interpreter's ignorance both of the french and the iroquois the worthy officer seemed completely puzzled at length however after consulting the great elk in a low voice he exclaimed tell them if their tale be really true though i've got my doubts for i never heard of freemasons amongst indians before and that must be what you mean by honoclo but if their tale be really true they may stay here with us and prove their devotion to his majesty louis the fifteenth king of france by fighting the english at our side they shall be sharply watched however he added in a low voice as if speaking to himself apuqua heard his words translated and then saying something in reply pointed to edith and her english companion with a look of too much meaning to be misunderstood nothing of the kind answered the french officer without waiting for the words which seemed about to follow tell him there's but one choice either to prove their story and their loyalty by fighting on our side, or to pass under the fire of these gentlemen, and he laid his hand upon a pile of muskets which stood close beside him. This intimation was quite sufficient. The Honand agreed to stay and fight without any further conditions, and the Frenchman then gave strict orders both to his own soldiers and the Hurons, by whom they were much more likely to be efficiently obeyed, that the very doubtful allies should be kept continually in sight. He then seemed to cast all thought of the affair behind him, and turned toward Edith, who was already in the hut, saying, "'I hope, mademoiselle, Pierrot has taken good care of you.' "'With all the skill and courtesy of a Frenchman, monsieur,' she answered, really pleased with the attention and almost fatherly kindness of the soldier who had been arranging the hut. "'Then now, as you have the means of rest, it only remains to provide you with meat and drink,' said the officer. "'I see they have spread my tablecloth on the grass there.' Will you and your friend come and partake of my fare? Pray make my words understood to him. Woodchuck readily agreed to accept the Frenchman's hospitality, but Edith declined taking anything more than a little bread and some wine, alleging that she needed rest more than anything. The French officer, however, would not be content with this, but with his own hands brought her some savoury messes, which would not have disgraced a Parisian dinner-table, some choice wine, and what was still more valuable to her a small lamp he then closed the hurdle door of the hut upon her and returned to his meal with woodchuck keeping up with him for half an hour a sort of conversation by words and signs one half of which was probably unintelligible to both the frenchman then took possession of another hut and invited woodchuck to share it with him for the night but the stout woodsman declined any covering but the sky And stretching himself across Edith's door, was soon in profound slumber. End of chapter twenty nine.